Well, it's that time of year again. The sky is filled with snow. The streets are bustling with Christmas shoppers. And the television stations have become unbearable with crappy made-for-TV Christmas movies. Yes, folks, it's the Christmas season. And your friends at Death by Video are going to ring it in with uh, a little film by an actor-turned-director, David Hess. We're watching the 1980 uh, somewhat-forgotten Christmas classic, maybe not a classic, To All a Good Night. It's Death by Video! It's time to watch a movie you never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles and there'll be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 600 years. It's time for death. Bye video. I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham saying welcome to episode 101 of Death by Video officially. We are kicking off the Christmas season. We have pot of gold chocolates. We have shortbread. Uh, we have eggnog. We have uh, Christmas pumpkin spiced beer, apparently. Winter, winter spice ale. Which is just the brewery took off the, the Halloween label and put on a Christmas label, basically, because you said it's pumpkin spice, essentially. Yeah, it's just peeling. Uh, you're just seeing the pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, first of all, thanks to everyone who um, supported our 100th episode on Repo Man. Uh, it's really good to have hit this milestone. Uh, who, who knows where we'll go from here? Um, so yeah. To the next 100. Yeah, and Graham's eventual suicide. Um, <laughs> that, that'll be episode 200. <laughs> 201. Um, go out with a bang. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this movie is, like I said, it's directed by David Hess, who is best known for playing Krug in uh, uh, Wes Craven's first film, uh, Last House on the Left, which, you know, he was the lead of a gang of criminal murderous rapists, and he went on to, like, use that um, character basically repeatedly in the film. He went to Italy for a while. He did a film with Reggio Diodato called House at the Edge of, of the Park, which I have watched. It's, like, one of the few, like, rare Blu-rays where I'm like, I'm going to get rid of this right away because it's so dirty, so awful. Um, it's just full of rape and awfulness. Uh, and then he also did the film... Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to, to Christmas. And then he also, uh, he appeared in the Franco Nero starring film Hitchhike, which I have not seen, but Phil, you saw. Yeah, I've seen it. It's really good. Uh, it's skeezy as all hell, but uh, yeah, I as think, you'd expect from... Yeah, from David Hess. I kind of feel <laughs> like if he ever wrote an autobiography, it should be I skeezy. Um, but who knows? So yeah, so running through his um, through his oeuvre as an actor, he started off in 1970 in the film called Cold Sweat, where he was uncredited. Then came Last House on the Left, which was his biggest, like what he's most well known for. He was in uh, the uh, he was a, he dubbed over a voice in the uh, actually uh, kung fu film Pagoda of Death, which is a Bruce Boitation film. He was in a film called The Swiss Company, Montana Trap, 21 Hours at Munich, which was a TV mo- movie. Hitchhike, as we said, he was in ep- he was in an episode of uh, Beretta. He was in the 1979 uh, Avalanche film Avalanche Express, um, which was actually no, it's not an Avalanche film. Now that I'm reading the the synopsis, it's a uh, 
Soviet spy film, then, of course, the infamous House at the Edge of the Park. He was in a TV miniseries called Jacqueline Suzanne's Valley of the Dolls, which I'm assuming is a much more accurate adaptation of the book Valley of the Dolls. He appeared in 1982 Swamp Thing alongside Ray Wise and Adrian Barbeau, uh, also directed by Wes Craven. Um, and then he did some TV stuff. He was in Manimal. He was in Knight Rider. Um, he was in The Fall Guy. He even did an episode of The A-Team. Uh, he was in the 1986 film Body Count, uh, which is another notorious uh, Italian uh, horror film directed by Ruggiero Diodato again. He did like some more, some, some other kind of German and Italian stuff, which isn't really interesting. He was in the 2004 film Zombie Nation. He was in the 2005 direct-to-video Uli Lomel non-classic Zodiac Killer. Not the Zodiac Killer, which we did on this podcast. He did a bunch of direct-to-DVD stuff. He was in the 2009 Canadian film Smash Cut from the director of Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, Lee Demabri, which I think was shot in uh, in Ottawa. And then he was finally in The House That Wept Blood in 2016, where he played the role of David Marsh. He was mostly, he also had a good soundtrack career. Like, he actually wrote and sang the theme song Wait for the Rain by uh, in from the film Last Us on the Left, a.k.a. The Road Leads to Nowhere, which, if you haven't heard it, is a killer, like, 70s folk song. He directed another film. He also directed a documentary short called Steel G- Drums, Not Guns from 2010, which I know nothing about. Uh, so who knows what that's that's from. He produced several films in addition to this one. So he produced um, uh, Nikki de Saint-Pal, which is a documentary in 1996. And he produced The Green Monster, which was a TV documentary in 1999, as well as Steel Drums, Not Guns. And then other than that, uh, not a whole lot else. I mean, he had a notorious career. He really played up his his image from Last House on the Left, which kind of defined his acting career throughout the rest of his his life. Apparently, he was one of the nicest people you could ever meet, but on camera, he was the most vile, one of the most vile individuals. And going into it with that attitude, this is the Christmas film we're watching. <laughs> to all a good night. Um, so guys, before we get into To All a Good Night, uh, have we seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Which was not too long ago for a change. It's like we're almost getting back to the old days. Kind of... Kind of like I'm not, I'm, you know, unemployed now or something. I need a good uh, few months to, to get my list up. I barely <laughs> had time to watch anything, sir. Well, we kind of discussed this, something that you and I both watched, but Phil, you have not. Um, well, yeah, Phil, Phil, go ahead. I mean, mm. we've all watched something together, yeah. so I'm sure oh, we'll Oh, right, 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 yes, we, we will. <clears throat> the, which is, I think, the highlight of my week. Nice, yeah. Um, Phil, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I saw the Souvenir Part 2, the sort of long-awaited uh, Souvenir Part 2, at least for me, because... Uh, the first one was my favorite movie of 2019. It was probably like one of the top 10 of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to come out last year, but then COVID happened. And uh, so it's finally out now. And uh, it's a very worthy sequel to the original. I like the original better, but mm-hmm. uh, the soundtrack for Souvenir Part 2 is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I am sad to say I did not see the Souvenir Part 1 yet. I'm, I'm hoping to catch it at the Lightbox because I think yeah. it's still playing. It's, they're doing they're like playing both, yeah. Both, so hopefully I'm going to catch it this week at some point. I don't know when, but I would love to see the Souvenir. I'd like, and I'd love to see it on the big screen as well because uh, Power of the Dog is on uh, Netflix now apparently. Yes. Which I'm just kind of like, do I want to watch this on Netflix or do I want to go see it in a theater? Yeah, it's a big screen movie. Yeah, and the best thing is TIFF now uh, at their Lightbox here in Toronto, their, their home cinema, uh, if you remember, the tickets are dirt cheap now. They've like they've like it's now a fifty percent discount, uh, which is fantastic uh, for me because I didn't realize that was going to be the case because I'm a TIFF member. So I'm going to try and go and catch more. Phil, what else have you seen? 
Um, I rewatched Boogie Nights. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I don't love the movie, but I I do like it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's still P.T. Anderson in his youth, so he's you know still trying to you know he's still trying to break free of like his direct influences. Yeah, and. There's definitely like a very condescending attitude towards the character, so like a lot of its their doofusness is just played as almost like it borders they border on borders on caricature at times, but mm-hmm. but there's really good doofus acting in the movie. That's what I said in my letterboxd review. Yeah, well, I mean, you cast Marky Mark as your lead. Yeah, but also John C. Riley. It's mm-hmm. definitely the blueprint for like John C. Riley's comedic career, in my opinion. My favorite thing is like when Jack Horner introduces uh, Dirk Diggler to John C. Riley's character. He's like, "Hey, this is Dirk. He's the new kid on the street." And his response is, "You live on the street?" Yeah. <laughs> no, like their whole like attempt at a music career is. Uh, oh, it's fantastic. The comedic highlight. Yeah, well, especially when you get to uh, coked out skinny Alfred Molina. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> just rocking along to Jesse's girl, Jesse's girl and, and Sister, Sister Christian. Christian. Yeah, yeah. Um, the interesting thing is that Mark Wahlberg now hates that he was in this in that movie, and he thinks that like I'm like, dude, that made your career. You would have just been the underwear guy for the rest of your life if you didn't do that movie. It yeah. it, it doesn't surprise me when dumb actors don't like the good movies that they've mm-hmm. been in. Uh, we we pointed out last week that Emilio Estevez doesn't talk about Repo Man. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like Billy Ray Cyrus in uh, Mulholland Drive. Drive. Yeah, he <laughs> well, he blamed working with Mulholland D- Drive because he thinks what was it? He, he's like, it's it, considered one of the best movies of all I time. I know, and he's actually pretty good in it. And he's like kind of funny, but like the thing is, he he thinks that because of that, it, it was like him working with Satan, and that's why Miley Cyrus created had her own like crazy pop career where she decided to just. Embrace your sexuality. No, I mean it. Probably he's probably correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like Burt Reynolds, you didn't. You didn't hate Boogie Nights, but he hated Pete Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Well, I mean, he fired his agent after the movie was done. Yeah. Well, done. But then he got nominated for an Oscar, and he suddenly rehired his agent. Yeah. I think it's you know just him not knowing what the movie was, and he also I think he didn't expect it to, there to be that much sex in the actual movie. Yeah. Uh, that it would have been all like implied, or like you know they close the door and then cut to later people are toweling off. Yeah, because Paul Thomas Anderson wanted Burt Reynolds for Magnolia, and Burt Reynolds was like, "No, I'm not working with you again." Yeah. What What part? I can't remember. I, um, I'm guessing maybe the Jason Robards. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Burt Reynolds was almost in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He was actually cast in the um, the Bruce Dern role, but, yeah. but he passed away before. Or no, or he was too ill before production. I think he passed away during production, but he, he got too ill beforehand. But he actually made it to a table read. So there was one table read with Burt Reynolds in that role, which I would have liked to see. Like, I'm a huge Burt Reynolds fan. I think he had, was, had such a great like run of the 70s and 80s and it's a shame that you know cop and a half kind of killed his career and he was also in striptease and that was a huge yeah that didn't help either and that movie sucks um sorry was striptease before boogie nights or after it was the year before boogie nights and that's what what was he so upset about boogie nights for because striptease was more of like a high class it was a hollywood picture it wasn't one of these down and dirty new line cinema pictures directed by a 27 year old um yeah anyways what else have you watched phil uh, I think that's it. Cool. Uh, Kit, what have you seen since we last recorded? Well, um, only two films. Okay. And one is very long. Yeah, one is very long. I guess we'll get that out of the way. I watched the uh, Peter Jackson eight-hour Beatles documentary, uh, The Beatles Get Back. 
which I also Wait, watched. You, you also yeah. watched that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure, I like, it seems like the kind of movie where I bet you they released it in enough theaters so it can qualify for Oscars and it'll probably be nominated. I don't think it was released in theaters. No? I don't think so. Because it would have played the light box if it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't think it, I don't think it was really, and I think the whole Maybe thing Maybe they're not was, going for awards. Because the other thing, too, is that they released it over, they released it on Disney Plus over Thanksgiving weekend. It, it feels I think the much whole... more like a film, like its own film, than, say, mm-hmm. like The Last Dance, which won Best uh, Documentary Feature last which year. Which definitely felt like a TV which series. Which was just an episodic TV series, like yeah. 10 episodes long. I totally agree with you on that. Didn't didn't make sense to mm-hmm. see it as a movie. But Get yeah. Back feels like its own movie. It's just eight hours long. Yeah, uh, you and I disagree. Like I, I, like, I still enjoyed watching it, but I found the techniques that Peter Jackson used... Uh, they kind yeah. of bothered me. I think I, that, I read your review. Yeah, yeah, because because it's like there's a thing in modern doc- documentaries where everybody shoots in like 6K or 8K, and they have focal assist on their cameras, which basically allow you can't go out of focus. And so in post, they can punch in, they can like crop in, they can like zoom in on stuff, and it doesn't really affect it. But the thing is, this film was shot on six. The majority of it, except for the uh, the ending, which is shot on on 35 millimeter camera uh, film stock. Mm-hmm. This film was shot almost entirely on 16 millimeter. Which actually they bring up at one point during the yeah. film. They're like, oh, what? why aren't we mm-hmm. filming on 35 millimeter? But the thing is, because uh, they were only, originally it was going to be just a TV special that this was Yeah, they for. were going to do a TV special, then it changes halfway through to a movie. They're going to yeah. do a movie instead. Mm-hmm. The, the third Beatles movie. Yeah. But the, the issue, though, is uh, with what Peter Jackson did is because now you can do really good 16 millimeter scans. Like... Um, the uh, film Irma Vep uh, from the 1990s was shot on 16 millimeter, and they blew it up to 35. And then for the most recent restoration, which I actually saw, saw a tiff with the director in appearance, he um, Olivia Assayas is that he pronounces? Yeah, yeah Assayas. He was there, and he said like it's great because this is a like a 4K scan of the actual 16 millimeter print, so it's a 4K scan of that, so it's it doesn't lose any image quality, which you can do. And they did. It just it frustrated me because you could have left the grain on and it wouldn't have affected the movie. Like in this, like it's very clean. There are certain shots where like, Oh, somebody's talking, but they're in the background and they're out of focus. So we're going to zoom in on their face. And, but the problem is they're out of focus. And so what they do is, and underexposed. So it's grainy out of focus. And they're like, Oh, we're going to pull all the grain out. We're going to try and brighten it up. And they just look like mush. Yeah, you get a lot of uh, what I'd call smooth Ringos yeah. because he's, he's often the furthest back, right? Being in yeah. his drum kit. So he's the furthest back from the, uh, the cameras and yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's smooth smooth ringo well they also do it a lot with paul which kind of bothers me because i'm like and the other thing too is that and i just want to say i love peter jackson like i was into his films before lord of the rings came out like i loved brain dead i loved the frighteners i loved uh bad taste i've still not seen meet the feebles but bad taste brain dead uh the frighteners that was my jam when i was in high school didn't he do um, that one with kate winslet oh, oh right heavenly creatures heavenly creatures yeah, yeah but that was a grown-up movie and i was a teenager um <laughs> And I enjoyed the first Lord of the Rings trilogy. Didn't enjoy The Hobbit. Uh, well, I didn't no, see The Hobbit. The Hobbit is a mistake. Obviously, it should have been done in one film. Well, it was supposed to be two films directed by Guillermo del Toro, but then yeah. uh, the studio was like, no, he can't do it. And, and then like, Peter Jackson was like, I'll do it all yeah. in slow motion for mm-hmm. some reason. Wasn't he adapting like appendixes <laughs> from like stuff? It's, it was um, bad. It was but bad. But anyways, back to the film. So like they do this and it just is so distracting and so unnecessary because the thing is those cameramen at the time were finding their shots like they were documentary cameramen who knew how to film stuff so going in and recropping and moving and blowing things up like 
He, he, was, he was looking for reaction shots to tell yeah. a different stories. So if, like, Paul is mm-hmm. going off on what he thinks the purpose of the band is, then They're it might be good zoom to in zoom in face. on George and be George being, like, yeah. almost rolling his eyes, mm-hmm. but, you know, reacting in some way. Yeah. So he's going for a lot of those. But then the problem is they show scenes from, like, uh, the movies. Like, the first um, Beatles movie, I think, was shot in uh, Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night, which is a good film. Which actually. is black and white. And they show it, and it's and it's like you can see the grain, and it's fine. And they show scenes from How I Won I've, the War, and I've, it looks great. I've never seen Help. They they show scenes from Help yeah. as well, but I've never seen Help. Mm-hmm. But I've heard it's it's wacky. Yeah. But they also show scenes from like their Super Eight recordings of their trip to India, and that looks fine. That looks good. Why does it look better than the sixteen millimeter film that Peter? because well, because of the zooming that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of all the overall vibes, you you didn't like the length of the film. I thought the length of the film served a purpose. Uh, which was just an immersive kind of purpose, which just yeah. makes you just, which I think is the point of the film. It's just like, it's sort of a, you're a fly on the wall uh, mm-hmm. in the recording studio, first at Twickenham, and then they moved to Abbey Road Studios. I don't think it needed to be a 90-minute movie. I think it could have gotten away with, with it at three hours or four hours. It didn't need to be eight hours. I, th- I think eight hours is a bonus. I think it's a, it's a nice little treat for Beatles fans. I think it should have been a bonus feature on the <laughs> maybe, DVD. Maybe, maybe. But it's yeah. like you really get the kind of the ebb and flow of the vibes. First, the vibes mm-hmm. are kind of, uh, then the vibes are, uh, and then they move to Abbey Road. And then Billy Preston shows up and the vibes yeah. go, woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, the thing is, they even <laughs> say in it, like, let's make him the fifth Beatle. Yeah, and I, well, and like, jo- John introduces that and Paul's yeah. like, no, four is enough. Four is too many as it is. Yeah. Kind of uh, true because they were all like John. That would have been cool. Imagine they just Paul. added Billy Preston. And yeah. then in the 70s, you've got five Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been sweet. But then again, we would have gotten the Beatles disco record at a certain point. That would have yeah, been bad. Yeah, yeah. What were you going to say, uh, Phil? It's like, yes, poor Stuart Sutcliffe. Like, I thought I was the fifth Beatle. <laughs> no one thinks you're the fifth Beatle, Stu. But I mean, uh, and then you get, yeah, it's a real treat just to see their songwriting process. Of course, uh, you know, Paul seems to come up with Get Back um, spontaneously. Yeah, just mumbling words like, ham a ham sandwich, oh, I want a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, initially, they, they conceive it as like a protest song, like yeah. a ironic anti-immigrant song. So like they're Which, going to pretend to be uh, anti-immigrant, yeah. which was all, mm-hmm. all the news at the time, this Enoch Powell guy. Yeah. And the, the odd thing is they wanted Eric Clapton, because when... The other thing, too, is yeah, like... Yeah, Eric Clapton I'm, I'm not goes a, full Enoch Powell I, I'm later not a, in the 70s. I'm not, a, so. I'm not a fan of uh, John Lennon, because, you know, he... Well, and, like, in this movie, he's just so cold when George leaves, and he's... Sorry, we're talking about Beatles Get Back. We're supposed to be talking about gross, skeezy, to all a good night. It's, it's but, true, it's true. We'll, 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 we'll wrap, wrap it up, up this discussion. Um, but it's... Sorry. No, 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 I was just going to say Death by Beatles. Death by Beatles. <laughs> but, the, but the issue is, back to, to John Lennon, like in it, he's so cold when George leaves, he's just like, if he's not back by Tuesday, we'll get Clapton. And I'm like, Clapton's not going to be singing your, your pro-immigrant song. He's going to be the one being like, keep them out. Yeah, yeah, which he famously did in the uh, mid-70s. Repeatedly, and which, which launched the Rock Against Racism yeah, movement. Yeah, yeah, there was an awesome. uh, article in the uh, Washington Post that people were tearing down, like, Eric Clapton has for 53 years kept politics out of his music. Ha. And now all of a sudden he's decided to speak out. And it's like, no, no, no he hasn't. No. Um, he's chosen to that. Okay, what else did you watch, Kit? I watched with Yi Gang, with all you three. Yay! Uh, we went and watched the new Paul Vorhoven erotic lesbian nun movie. Benedetta. Not as erotic as I was expecting. No, it, it's a little less uh, erotic. Yeah. Um, There's uh, some disappointed teenagers that snuck into a screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, there, there are a few. Yeah. 
There were moments. Yeah. It, it, it definitely would have been something, as mm -hmm. I uh, put in my letterbox review, that I would have stayed up till 2 a.m. to record off of Showcase just selectively. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. particular scenes by the way you know big up big props to paul verhoeven the lead actress that he cast uh is a woman in her 40s actually i looked up oh. um so yeah like uh you know beauty knows no age so like he didn't do what he might have done 20 years ago and cast two 22 year old women uh in the role uh, in the roles um well it makes sense because mm -hmm. they're like 30 years later like she shows up as a, yeah. a teenager and then they're like oh as a child yeah as a child yeah and then it's 30 years later yeah or, or maybe 20 years later i don't know it's it's yeah. Sometime but, later. Uh, but yeah, I, I solidly enjoyed this film. I think I rated it three and a half stars in Letterboxd. It should be a four-star movie, in my opinion. Because like, it's just like, just I love Paul Verhoeven. Just like he says, I'm just going to go there. It's, I'm just going to like, not to spoil the movie. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We had a technical issue. The uh, recorder ran out of batteries. Um, so long story short, Benedetta, I just love that Paul Verhoeven goes for stuff. And like, I don't want to spoil the movie, but at the end of the movie... The townsfolk, <laughs> I don't want to spoil this movie, but at the very end... <laughs> at the very end, the townsfolk get involved. Listen, it's a true story. You and can look up the history. Yeah, and it's, like, it's one of those things where it's like... It goes to the point where you're like, okay, it's hit the point where like, oh, they've reached their peak. And then they go even further, and then they go even further. Oh, yeah, man. They, and it's great. It's like a sudden burst of violence there at the end. And you're like, ooh. Well, I remember right. like I was laughing in the theater like, ha, 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 ha stab him some more. Ah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. By contrast to your reaction, you're like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were freaked out. I know, because we were, we were on opposite sides well, of the Well, like, it was like uh, more of like a Jesus Christ. They're really stabbing him right in the chest there. Yeah. <laughs> Great film. So anyways, long story short, Benedetta is DBV approved. Uh, yeah, the good, good, fun film. Yeah, and, go uh, see it over the holidays with your family. News that um, um, Paul Verhoeven is going to return to do his mm -hmm. first um, stateside movie in since, I guess, uh, Hollow Man. Oh. Um, uh, and it's going to be a erotic political thriller, thriller set in D.C. <laughs> oh, an erotic pr political critter. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Uh, erotic mm. political thriller set in DC, reuniting him with the uh, writer of RoboCop. Sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm all for it. Um, okay, moving on to what I've seen. We talked the Beatles get back to death. I'm only going to talk about two films that I saw, and I watched more films than I, than I thought. Hey, you know what? That's the benefit of not working. Um, so I watched uh, with a former guest of the podcast, and he'll be a future guest again, Scott Shirk, the movie Future Cops from 1993, which is a Hong Kong action film where essentially the director tried to get the rights from Capcom to make a Street Fighter 2 adaptation. They said no, so he just did it anyways. Now this film starts off great, ends, up, ends great. There's a whole 70-minute stretch in the middle that's just a weird high school hijinks movie with humor that does not translate culturally. And me and Scott, like, it started off and we're like, oh my god, this is amazing. And I'm like, I gotta get this movie. I'm gonna buy it right now. And then they go back in time from the year 2043 to 1993. And it's a long slog until the end when all of a sudden all the Street Fighter 2 characters show up. But they're all in it. And they all look like homemade. Although there's no cami. There's two Chung Lees, which is bizarre. Um, M. Bison's in it. Uh, Guile's in it. Like, they're all in it. Um, although they did like clearly run out of money when it came to doing Blanca because it's just some dude with a red hair with a red wig and a green turtleneck with a pillow stuffed inside of it. <laughs> if you know Street Fighter Two, you know like just that's, like the video game. Yeah, just like the video game. Are there a lot of Hadouken sound effects? There's a little, little bit, but not a whole lot. Did yeah. E Honda make an appearance? Oh yeah, he's in it. 
Um, thankfully, uh, who's the character that's the Indian that does yoga fire? Oh, Dalsim. Dalsim, he's in it. With his stretchy limbs. Yes, and he's very much in it, but he's stretchy like Mr. Fantastic, where like his, his limbs go around like doors and stuff and around corners. Nice. Um, but uh, Dalsim in it, like thankfully, not played in brown face like he was in the Jackie Chan film City Hunter, which was like, ooh, ooh, man. Gotta watch out. And then the next film and the last one we'll talk about before we get into Twelve Good Night is... The Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher. So this was a mystery movie on Tubi, which I'd never heard of from 1979. And it is... Whew, I don't even know how to like there how to talk about it. So like I remember I was messaging you guys in our group chat, and uh, Kit, you said, like, oh, is it a romance? And I'm like, it could be, because I don't know where this is going. <laughs> but basically, The Hollywood Strangler is this guy. It's from the director of... Um, God, what movie is it? Like, but, uh, I can't remember the name of the... Of the the movie, but it's like the people who stopped living and became mixed up zombies or some crap like that. Um, wow. Catchy title. Yeah. Um, Ray Dennis Steckler, under, and he did it under a pseudonym as well, but he, uh, oh my God, he directed Wild Guitar, which uh, I always joke should be titled Mild Guitar. Um, and yeah, he, he directed The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies. Um, and uh, so this movie is, and he also directed The Infamous Blood Shack from 1971. Uh, so this movie... Blood Shack, baby. Yeah. So this movie, uh, it's just... I enjoyed it because, like, oh, it's downtown Los Angeles, and he's just walking on the street, and so you see, like, the different theaters, you see the different stores. Apparently there was an actual occult supply store that, that they shot a scene outside of because they couldn't pay to, like, change the signs. Um, basically, the Hollywood Strangler is a strangler who hires women to come over for erotic photo shoots, and then when they come onto him, he strangles them. Um, and very unpleasant. And then, um, but I mean, the ineptness of the film allows it to not be that unpleasant where you can't watch it because also, because it's a very low budget film, they shot outside a lot in the bright sunlight so they didn't have to pay for lights. Um, they shot the entire film silent. So, uh, whenever a character talks, their face is either turned away from the camera or they're off screen. Um, and then the, uh, the Hollywood, the Skid Row slasher is a woman who is actually played by the, the director's wife. Um, and she works in a bookstop, bookshop that's right next to a porn shop where the Hollywood Strangler hangs out in. He hangs out in both the bookshop and the sex shop, the porn shop. And basically, he thinks there's a connection between the two of them. And it's because they're both killers because she slashes winos that like wander around her bookstore. Does sound like they have a lot in common. Yeah. But uh, when they eventually meet, because again, no one talks in this movie, the Hollywood Strangler just thinks things at her. And she doesn't respond because, again, they shot the movie totally silent and she never utters a single word. Um, and I won't spoil it, but apparently there is a sequel, even though I don't know how they pulled it off, which is set in Las Vegas called, like, The Las Vegas Serial Killer, which I still intend to watch. But it's from the 80s, so I'm not sure how, if it's got as much of the grime of downtown L.A. But it's, it's something where, like, it's not a good movie. I kind of really enjoyed it. I don't know. Anyways, with all that being said, ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Uh... Have a holly jolly Christmas. Uh, we're we're going to watch To All A Good Night. We'll be right back. If you're looking for more horror outside of the mainstream, look no further than Unsung Horrors, a podcast about underseen horror movies. I'm Lance. And I'm Erica. Every other week, we'll cover a horror movie with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. We'll even give you double feature recommendations to pair with the movies we discuss. From gothic to shot on video, from slashers to comedies, from giallo to J-horror, we'll cover all the subgenres. So join us as we unearth these hidden gems of horror. Follow us on Instagram, 
Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And that was David Hess's To All a Good Night. It, it sure was. Yeah. Uh, right off the bat, I got to say, I think this is, I think we all enjoy this movie a lot. Yes. <laughs> this is a, if you're looking for a lost gem, this is it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a goofy movie, but yeah. yeah. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I yeah, know. I was um, uh, reading up a little bit and like it's, it's, it's said to be famously incompetent. I don't think it was totally incompetent, but every now and then you're just like, Wait, why is this person now hooking up with this person when they were hooking up with their friend like eight hours before? We were also like, the continuity is just not, yeah. nobody was bothering with continuity. Yeah. There was a roaring fire <laughs> in one scene, they turn around and it's out. Um, just like people's collars and ties will be like, yeah, just completely mismatched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the poor detective with the, I wrote down, I think it was like angrily plaid sh- uh, sport coat, like his collar was on was like on the outside one of the one of his sides of his collar was on the outside of the sport coat his tie was like askew his belt was like his shirt was falling out of its pants it was i mean he was a mess it it makes sense when you find out that he is one of the murderers spoiler alert we'll get into that um (laughs) so yeah so the film opens up with uh the sorority girls uh two years ago at the Calvin Finishing School for Girls, which prompted Kit to ask the question, what exactly is a finishing school? I mean, I'd heard the term, but it's mm-hmm. just like, well, what does that even mean, really? Yeah, well, I think it, it's like, and Phil, you looked it up, right? It's, it's a school to prepare women for entering proper society. For, yes. Yeah. See, I think I think probably like that has changed now to just be like a, a step between univer- uh, high school and university. I, I don't even know if they use the term finishing school anymore, yeah. but it is what we're to understand with the uh, with, in terms mm-hmm. of the uh, film's context is that these are posh ladies. Yeah. Posh, horny ladies. Yes, um, very horny and very posh. Yeah, they they f- literally flew in their men. Um, so the film opens up, um, the sorority sisters are uh, chasing a funny, like everyone's having a good fun time chasing the sorority sister through the hallways. They chase her out to a balcony. One of them's dressed up as Santa, I think, holding a knife. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and... Uh, I thought it was an axe. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But she's like standing outside on the balcony and then the sorority sister comes out to the balcony and she goes, boo! And then the sorority sister falls off the balcony, uh, hits the concrete below and dies. And that's and, her opening. And it's filmed in the, the foggy flashback. That's a trademark of a yeah. slasher prologues. I, I think of slasher prologues from 1980 to 1981 because it, it like went away pretty quickly. But um, yeah, but, and it, it's by the way, it's a two story balcony. Yeah, which you kept pointing out. <laughs> I think she might have a concussion. I don't, I don't know why this is immediate I think, death, I think but, but it's like falling onto hard concrete. I think probably cracked skull, brain maybe damage. if you hit it right yeah. uh, in the right way. But. Which she did. She went face down. So it might have been that old thing where it's like, you know, she hit the, the, the nose and it shoved a bone up into her brain. Okay, okay. It, it is but possible. It's just like... It's just, uh, just not 100% <laughs> probable. Um, so, yeah. And then we basically now, it's two years later. It's the beginning of Christmas break. Uh, the sorority is shutting down. We're in California, so there's yes. no snow or anything. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's one of those like Christmas movies without snow, which I think they probably could have got could have. I think it was a budgetary reason why they didn't have snow, um, because it seems like they could have easily have faked it for like somewhere else. Other than there's a couple palm trees and a few shots, but they could have faked it to be a, like a different spot and be more snowy. But I don't think they had the budget for the fake snow. And you know what? It's always interesting to see Christmas celebrated in areas without snow because... It happens. It happens. It's weird as hell, especially us growing up here, you know, in the great white north um, where it always snows in this time of year. Uh, well, it, I mean, we just stay. watched a Christmas movie with no snow. Yeah. That's Repo what was, Man. Right. Exactly. 
forgot about that. Yeah, Repo Man is a Christmas movie. Maybe it, yeah, same same universe too, yeah. same area. They're both in California. Yeah, I think this is more southern, like uh, like SoCal, uh, like more like Orange County. But um, anyways, a bunch of girls are st- sticking around. A bunch of them are leaving. They're left with their house mother, uh, Fast Ralph, who is I guess the groundskeeper, who's slow, which is why they name him Fast. Who he just like wanders into sorority rooms with his uh, with his uh, his uh, gardening shears, shears, his gardening yeah. shears, just at the ready. Yeah, and he's like, "We need to thank God for these plants mm-hmm. that make our lives so full of lo- of good." I'm here to tend to the plants in your bedroom, like just <laughs> just walking while a girl's lying on her like, bed. And it's like changing oh, Ralph, or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, and he's like, but they're all kind of cool with it. They're just sort of like, oh, like. He's weird, but they'll also like diss him while he's in the room. And he's like, he's like in his fifties, like blonde, curly hair, um, wearing one of those red um, pajama shirts. Yeah, one he's like six foot eight. <laughs> yeah. He's got like ripped pants. He's got like mm-hmm. these dirty pants on that are ripped around the crotch. Yeah, which they just go. There's one shot where his crotch is just center of frame, and you're like, "Yep, they're ripped." Um, but it's this frame where, like, he gives Nancy the Bible. Yeah, but a very slim Bible, which I think might have just been like a, a like a book like of a services or Bible or something, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's like only the highlights, mm-hmm. only Jesus. But the thing is, Ralph is technically correct that there is evil going on because he keeps warning Nancy, like, there's evil going on in this house. The devil is here. But uh, the other thing, though, because when we first meet her, uh, I guess Leah has gone mm-hmm. to her room for some perfume or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then um, she's she's talking to Ralph, like, oh, uh, get out of You scared me, Ralph. Get out yeah. of the room. And he's like, oh, I like Nancy. Yeah. Just- <laughs> and we were all like, who's Nancy? Turns out it's, it's the sorority girl played by Jennifer Runyon, who, of course... Um, played the student in the opening scene of Ghostbusters with Bill Murray. Not the opening scene, but the scene with Bill Murray. She was with the, the, with the... With the shock uh, yeah. therapy, the shock testing, mm-hmm. where he's like, I was just about to say, eight yeah. o'clock. She was also in the original 18 again, uh, starring George, co-starring George Burns and some kid. Um, yeah, so she's been in two movies mm-hmm. featuring porn actors. This one and Ghostbusters. Oh, right. So, uh, oh, who's the porn actor in the... Ron Jeremy was an extra in Ghostbusters. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, he's in like the like top corner of a frame for a split second. So, yeah, uh, infamous 1970s pornographic actor. It, it does Harry... involve a, a blowjob, uh, a ghosty blowjob scene in Ghostbusters. So, that yeah, makes sense. which was just, they just should have cut it out. Like, why is it, why is that in Ghostbusters? Because, like, the thing is, so, um, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah okay, sidebar, sidebar. So, so because Ghostbusters Afterlife came out, there were a whole bunch of vintage Ghostbusters press stuff from 1984, including Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray on the, the Johnny Carson show. And Dan Aykroyd said, we're very pleased with this film. It is a family picture. The whole family can come. And I realized it was probably only in post-production they realized it was a family picture and was like, okay, we've got to cut all that weird stuff in. But we're going to keep in this weird thing where we see Dan Aykroyd's underwear <laughs> for some reason. And I'm like... You could have just went snip, snip, gone. Like, it's out of the montage. You don't need it there. Why is it there? Because there was a whole sequence where they go and stay in, like, overnight. They, in a, they turn it, uh, with editing, they turn it into, a, it's a dream. But it's still a dream ghost giving him a blowjob, quite clearly. Yeah. Anyways, back to this movie and not, why is it in Ghostbusters? Um, <laughs> um, so anyways, back to this film. So, um... It's Christmas, not Christmas Eve yet, um, but the girls are eating their meal prepared by the den mother, and uh, they want, basically they have a plan. They're going to fly in some some rich boys. are going to fly in on one guy's private plane, which is Harry Reams plays the pilot uh, of, of said plane, 
which is odd because like I had no idea who he was, and it wasn't until like later on, like scrolling through trivia, I'm like Harry Reams, um, uh, and even on the supplements on the Fantastic Kino uh, DVD, uh, which is sadly out of print now. Bring it back into print, Kino. Um, uh, Jennifer Runyon talks about how like she had no idea who he was, and she was like, "Oh my god, it's a porn star." Um, so uh, they uh, Leah Leah uh, Melody, the other girl, uh, they have a plan because they're flying in some boys to um, to end the British girl. British yeah, and one of them has a bad British accent for yeah, some reason. Yeah, they basically have a, have a plan like. Our himbo friend, as Kit called him, and I can never hear his name. I got most of the other guys' names. Our himbo friend is going to fly in. Uh, TJ. Some, TJ. TJ, TJ yeah. right. Some boys to hang out. So they're going to drug their den mother so that she passes out for, for what was it, 10 to 12 hours? Yeah. And they basically just quickly rush her out of the way. There's a there's an Italian woman who's in one scene who... It turns out to be David Hess's mother? Or some, or some relation. Her last name was Hess, so I think yeah. it's either wife or, or some relation. Who knows? She looks... A- well, I don't know how old he was at the time, mm-hmm. so. But she does. Uh, she she's middle aged woman. Because the weird thing is, his wife was in House at the Edge of the Park as a as a character who is his character rapes. So I don't. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes is right. Um, so I don't know. I can't recall what she looked like because I blocked most of that film from memory. Going to pretend to rape somebody. Let's just drop the subject. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, um, back to this film. And less the, this film is way less distasteful than I thought it was going to be. Knowing the work of David Hess and the kind of projects he went after, I assume to be way more sleazy. It's actually not that bad. It, there's not a terrible amount of nudity. There the, is. There is some. Gr- to it is uh, like uh, near the start one of the girls changes um, changes yeah her her boy toy shows up and he's like come on come on it. what are you doing and she's yeah. she's wearing her mm-hmm. negligee already which is strange because it's like well he's not in the room with you well i think the whole thing was she was <laughs> she the whole thing was like i'm not feeling well so i'm gonna go to bed but so she, she's, she wears her sexy bed clothes when she's not feeling well and just it was a movie from 1980 <laughs> of course that's what she wore to bed so the basically so they drug the den mother and they wait for the boys to come in, but the person who's not at the at the dinner, she's waiting for her for her boyfriend to show up. So she changes. We see the first of two gratuitous clothes changing shots where she changes in front of the camera, and then uh, her boyfriend gets killed by an off screen killer. Now the killer is yeah, introduced. He's down there. He's he's down there being pissed off and smoking a cigarette. Yeah, and then, she's he gets, and then he gets murdered, which yeah. is probably not mm-hmm. how you want to spend the um, last two minutes of your life. Yeah. Um, I should point out the score in this, uh, Phil said it early on, and I agree, agree. it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some, I think, some spoon playing on the on the oh, soundtrack. Spoon man. Yeah, it's, there's like, I, th- I have a feeling, because this whole film feels rushed, because we'll get into it, but the plot of it is essentially Friday the 13th. A mother whose child was killed uh, goes and takes revenge on the people that were involved. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Kit, yes, it. there's probably some black Christmas influence. Definitely. Uh, well, I was just thinking, especially with the inclusion of the British girl, not even doing a good British accent, just being sort of an Olivia Hussey uh, callback. Sure, but not the main character. For, not, the, not the main because, character. Because, yeah, Jennifer Runyon was. But anyways, back to this film. Um, so the killer uh, starts by, put. we see the killer putting on gloves, just like in a giallo, but instead of them being like cool black leather gloves, they're actually like, gardening gloves which i think is supposed to because um, make ralph clearly, look like yeah, a red yeah, herring yeah, fast ralph is is a red herring obviously you can see it uh, miles away you're mm-hmm. like this guy is just a weird guy 
yeah. a little slow in the head and just mm-hmm. seems like at one point he just wanders into a sorority room through the window while the girl is sleeping yeah. in there it's like I just wanted to warn you there's some evil in the air tonight. <laughs> yeah. Here's a Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they they dropped the red herring pretty quickly. He's even wearing red. Um but anyways, long story short, uh where was I? Uh, long story short, this would have been right. So th- uh, this film was made right after David Hess got back from Italy, and I'm guessing he was probably in Italy, Italy for the back half of the '70s when he did Hitchhike and House of the Age of the Park. So he probably had seen a lot of giallos in Italy at the time, and that's probably what inspired this scene. Even though it's like <laughs> he's putting on gardening gloves. Um, uh, so we should also point out that uh, there's a line that I wanted to pay attention to. So early on in the montage, before all this, when the parents are picking up their kid, their girls from the finishing school, there's a father there who's like, like just like we gotta get out of here. And he spends spend so money, much money. The line is, "We spend a fortune to send this girl to this school, to send our girl to the school. Just put her in her bag and get her, and let's get her out of here." Just like, what does that even mean? It's like, oh, she'd want to leave her friends, so it's like, just get in the car and go. Then he's talking about his sports betting. It's 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 a very yeah. strange little uh, one-off. Just a little, just a nice little seasoning on the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then basically the den mother is passed out. The killer kills the boyfriend, and then the girlfriend comes down, and she's like, hey, where are you? And the killer kills the girlfriend. And now the boys arrive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, to to knock out the den mother, they they give her some warm milk and they drug it, and then they send Nancy up because she's the only one that the den mother will trust. Mm-hmm. And so she then, um, I'm trying to say uh less because when I edit every episode, I have to cut out so many uhs. They also ands. promise the den mother they're like, we got an idea. Why don't you go to bed? We're gonna do all the dishes tonight. They never do the damn dishes. No, never, ever, ever. Although the den mother doesn't complain about it the next day, probably because she's in on the murders. Because she's the murderer. <laughs> <laughs> One of two murderers. We'll get there. Um, so then they go to meet the boys who have flown in. That that's, This is the night, and we get some of the worst day for night I've ever seen. Like, they didn't even shoot at dusk. They shot, like, hard sun, middle of the day. Was this a Blu-ray we were watching? No, this was this was uh, a DVD. The Blu-ray is oh, out okay. of print. It's, and... it's still probably higher def than it was shown originally. But... Yeah, well, I mean, this film is also famous because it had a horrendously transferred uh, VHS co- uh, tape in the 80s, which was incredibly dark. Like, you couldn't see what was going on throughout yeah, most of it. The day for night would have looked great, then. <laughs> I guess so. I'm even thinking on this DVD, like, you can go in and color correct that down, just do a little bit of work, but... It's funny, though, because there is, like, a couple shots that are night clearly night. shot at night, night for night, but I'm yeah. guessing, uh, my guess was that they'd shot, they tried to do night for night, and then a bunch of the shots didn't work, so they had to reshoot all of those. There's they did not clean up any of the grains at the no, night for night. which is fantastic. Don't do that. But um, I do think it's, it's probably, it's either Kit's theory, or it was one of those things where we have too much action going on and we can't afford to light it correctly. Because you were even pointing out that the dubbing in some of those scenes was weird. Yeah, yeah. It could have been that there was something, because they were shooting it on an airstrip, and my assumption is that planes were taking off and oh, landing. That, that would make sense, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they meet up with the boys. So we've got Himbo, TJ. We've got Glasses, who is Alex. We've got the 40-year-old uh, frat man. <laughs> he's so old he's, he, Yeah, he's wearing a, a Hawaiian shirt and has a beer belly. Um, he's the he, oldest looking of the... Uh, of the it's an ill-fitting yeah. Hawaiian shirt. And sadly, there is no boy for Nancy. Now, it is just around this time, all the girls and guys are hanging out in the living room. Nancy is like... That's, the girls are so horny. 
oh, it's it's like and the guys are the biggest dorks in the world. Like they yeah. may be rich guys, but they are just yeah. dorks. Like there's the nerd, there's the guy mm-hmm. who's badly playing the guitar and singing horribly. But he even admits he sings terribly, yes, which is which enough. is like you gotta imagine because David Hess. Uh, we should point out he was also a musician. He wrote songs for Elvis. Um, and he wrote, you know, and he also was a singer. So like, you can tell that they cast this actor and it's like, okay, you're, I'll show you some chords and then you're going to sing this song. And on set they were doing it and he's like, dude, you're awful. <laughs> like, we got to pay attention to this. Like, nobody will take this seriously if you don't acknowledge it, which they do. Um, Meanwhile, like, Melody's enamored by, uh, this dude's musicianship or lack thereof. Actually, it was, uh, Leah. Oh, Leah, yeah. that's right. Leah no, but, well, was, and Melody later on, but. Yeah, TJ is, yeah, yeah. Melody is enamored with him, but she's like, I'll go with the nerd. There's some musical cheers going on. I'll just put it that way. Um, so, yeah, and Melody is, like, throwing all kinds of moves and hints and innuendos at Glasses, a.k.a. Alex. And he just doesn't know when to take a hint because he's much more interested in talking about the history of uh, brain x-rays. His character arc is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he goes from being like... He's basically you... outright ignoring uh, Melody. <laughs> like, aggressively ignoring. Yeah. Um, this is also the scene where I notice that there's a suit of armor, armor in the like corner. she's, like, barely clad. Oh. Like, she's got her cleavage out. She's, like, hanging on his arm. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, well, I've got I've to do my homework still. Yeah. Um, but this is... Sorry, I was saying that this is the scene where I notice that there is a suit of armor in the corner of the room. And I'm just kind of like, why is there a suit of armor in the middle of this girl's dormitory? check off suit of armor which we didn't know at the time until we'll get there we'll get there <clears throat> so i've written here that the boys are lousy boring and not funny and that one guy can't sing all the movie all the girls in the movie are super horny especially the british girl patricia which is her name and um, she is the first to go yeah so she goes out to she get doesn't a, even get to mm-hmm. she doesn't get to show off her assets or anything despite the movie trying um yeah. oh there's that one scene where, where she's, she's leaning, leaning over, over the balcony yeah. Yeah, with her uh, herself is spilling out basically, but not quite. But not quite. Um, so at this point, she goes to get a beer for a Hawaiian shirt guy, and that's when the killer uh, gets her, and he, he stabs her in the. Does he stab her or strangle her? No, he uh, he slices her neck. And Phil, you were pointing right. out that this is a pretty gnarly neck slicing scene. Oh, yeah. yeah, big time. Yeah, the, like the gore in it yeah, wasn't. Like you see like all like cartilage, and mm-hmm. it's like, it's like yeah, yeah, it's a gaping wound. Mm-hmm. It wasn't gratuitous, probably because they didn't have the budget. Like, but because like they they would show it and then cut away quickly. So I'm assuming that the gore that they went for was ambitious, but they didn't have the budget to sustain it. There was there was definitely not a Tom Savini working on this film. Yeah, sure. Um, but still great. And so then Hawaiian shirt guy goes out to follow her, and uh, he like goes outside to be like maybe she went outside, and that's when he gets pursued by the killer. He finds her in the. Um who is now in a Santa Claus suit. We also should also point out that the boys show up in Santa Claus suits. Yes, they all do, yeah. yeah. So there's two of them, except for Glasses. Glasses wasn't wearing a Santa suit. This is true. Yeah. Uh, so now the killer is wearing a Santa Claus suit with a cheap Santa Claus mask, and so this is where he kills a Hawaiian shirt guy. And then he starts burying them. Yeah, uh, very is, dutifully. Yeah, so that because the thing is, like, the interesting thing is, like, normally, like, characters in slasher movies realize that there's murders going on when they find the bodies the killers in this film bury it and you think that's very smart very thinking forward and you realize later on why because they have a cop helping out with the murders but we'll get there um well because it seems like mm-hmm. when the, when the movie started i was like wow this is going fast we're like 26 minutes in we've already had three murders yeah um and it felt like it was all just going to happen on this one night but it doesn't end no. up that way yeah so then basically melody takes glasses back to his to her room which is like 
even when he's up there shirtless in his boxers, like cannot take a hint that something's about to happen. Oh, she's she's there in like her well, she's wearing a bikini and she's like, mm-hmm. you know how much this cost? Yeah. And she's like kind of like gyrating into him and he's like, um, oh, I'm just trying to read here. As a prelude, she goes like, I'm going to teach you about the theory of relativity. <laughs> oh yeah. And he apparently thinks that that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Well, she says, come on, Einstein, let me go. Sh-. What was it? Oh, the actual line is, come on, Einstein, it's time for your advanced course in relativity. Which is a clever line, because Einstein actually came up with the theory of relativity. But, but he does take it literally, though, when he's up yeah. there with his textbook open. Like, trying to figure out E equals MC squared and all that stuff. And then eventually she does seduce him, and I think, uh, yeah. according to Wikipedia, gives him a good hand job. And this does immediately change his character. We'll get into that. <laughs> we will get into that. So, uh, basically, the next day, uh, this is this is also when we see the last of Fast Ralph, when he gives Nancy the Bible, or the whatever it is, the Gideon Bible. Uh, the Leah mm-hmm. and TJ, they hook up in their room. Yeah, which is kind of boring, because, honestly, those characters together, like, you kind of expect those are the ones that are going to get together, but they're not good well, she's together. She's, like, twirling in with, like, a server's tray of hors d'oeuvres or something for some Yeah, reason. and she's wearing a leotard. She, well, she's a ballerina, I guess, is the idea. Um, they Like, he drinks a a three liter jug of wine and i'm like dude how are you still like awake after that because like at a certain point he she he reaches over to get a to get a, another glass of wine and she's like you've drunk all the wine and it's this like massive jug he is a, he's a big dude he's the biggest of the dudes and yeah. he also looks like he could be the youngest like he looks like he might be 29 yeah um <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's the himbo guy yeah um, just a massive head. He's got a yeah. huge head. So we cut to the next morning, and they're all having breakfast outside. Well, we did miss the um, Nancy Nancy and Leah. They bump into each other, and she's like, oh, I'm going to go get some beer. Here's your milk. Oh, uh, and right. And then Nancy goes to bed, and when she's in bed... That's where Fast Ralph... Fast Ralph comes into her room. Just walks in through the window, just like, hello. <laughs> like I, I, And he even tells I've her... I've been like, worried about you, Nancy. Yeah, like, you're, I like you yeah. a lot. But the thing is, like, they're all kind of, like, just sort of, like, oh, Fast Ralph. Like, we'll talk about him like he's a moron into his face, but he's, like, harmless. It's, like, the only scene where he's not carrying, like, garden shears or, like, a yeah. hammer or... Or something, something he's, he's red He's carrying herring-ish. a Bible if he's not carrying his garden shears. Yeah. So then the next morning, they're out uh, enjoying breakfast, and that's when uh, we see the, the den mother is up, and she's back, and they've concocted a story where like oh our plane broke down and we saw the land the 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 airstrip and so we landed and then they came here after you were asleep and we all slept in separate rooms and and you know studied leviticus or something um so at this point um there's like they've got this lie going where it's like oh it'll take another day for us to get the thing fixed and the demo is like okay but if the there's some other like higher authority above her who i assume is the the italian woman who brought the cannoli which prompted Fast Ralph to say, what's cannoli? And um, that was the end of that story. Um, oh, I guess she's like the supervisor or the, 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 the person who's like involved with the school. And it's like, oh, if boys are here, she'll get in trouble. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll fix our plan and get out of here in, in like a day or so. And so at this point, um, who is it that goes out to like look for someone because they're like, oh, we can't find our friends, but they're, well, they're definitely around somewhere. Yeah, they're just, they're kind of unconcerned about their friends. And to be fair, it's it's just two of them, I guess, that are missing because the, yeah. the other girl was supposed to have gone off with her, her boyfriend. Exactly, so yeah, her, yeah. her being missing is not a strange thing, mm-hmm. but two of them have been missing, but I guess, you know, they're all young and they're like, ah, oh, they probably went off to town or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they're having a, Leah and TJ are having a, a picnic and, um, and, uh, uh, what's her face? Uh, Nancy. Nancy is just sort of uh, hanging around third wheel in it. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk. 
And then she goes and trips over dead Fast Ralph. Yeah, Fast Ralph is dead. Yep. So this is when we meet our detective. Um, who I've written here, the detective who investigates the murder of Ralph wears a violently aggressive plaid sport jacket, which is true. And he basically is like going through everything, explaining this. And like TJ and the girls outside of Alex and Nancy don't give a crap that somebody was murdered on their property, like 10 feet from where they sleep. And that two of their friends are missing. They're just like, yeah, they'll turn up. Oh, that killer is a million miles away by now. Who gives a crap? Like, uh, what do we care? Yeah, if anything, like, it just enhances their sex drives. Like, Yeah. Well, now it's, like, time to start playing musical chairs, where, like, you know, Melody's got eyes for TJ, and TJ's getting eyes for Melody. Uh, so the detective basically Also, runs... Alex has uh, eyes for... For Nancy, yeah. For Nancy, and we find that out before she finds uh, Fast Ralph, because he's, like, yeah, he's you're chasing cute. her, and he's yeah, like... I got you. Yeah, I and got she's you. like, oh, what the hell is going on? Person I've never <laughs> like, talked you're, to. You're cute. He's like, man, yeah. you got a lot of... Uh, I don't know. Spunk. <laughs> Spunk is one one yeah. way to put it. Ever since he got that hand job in bed for Melody last night. Yeah, all of like a sudden, whole new man. Well, I was joking he should be wearing a smoking jacket and wearing an ascot. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Garth in Wayne's World. Too, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but anyways, so at this point, um, the detective is kind of getting frustrated with TJ and the gang, but he sees that Nancy is actually concerned. And Nancy starts talking about being afraid, and the detective leans down... And then he makes a weird fist with his hand, and then he cradles her chin <laughs> yes, he in his hand in the boat in the most creepy way while he talks about, like, I want to protect you. For, like, two and minutes. I make, and he gives this whole monologue while just holding, just, like, and he, like, moved his fingers around while doing it, too. It was very awkward and weird. It's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just other than, like. It's so unnatural. Like, yeah. when are you going to hold somebody's face like that? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, for a second, you might. Like, oh. Yeah, but yeah. not but like, like three minutes. Yeah, <laughs> while I look directly into your eyes and, and like move my wiggle my fingers around on your he face. He does seem like the detective. He's disheveled, like uh, Graham says, because so you can imagine that there's his his breath is soaked with brandy or something like that. Anyway, he brings yeah. in the uh, the Keystone cops. <laughs> oh God, these two. Uh, who like one guy like one cop is wearing like they're both like <laughs> just what did you call it like. A miniature Andre the yeah, Giant. Yeah, the, well, there's there's the one guy with his shirt open. Who, with his chest hair exposed. With his chest hair exposed. He looks mm-hmm. like a miniature version of Andre the Giant. Yeah. And this... I don't know if it's this cop or the other Keystone cop who's touchy-feely with Nancy as well. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There's... Go, oh, go. Oh, yeah. It is that cop because he's like... He's sitting at... They're at the dinner table and afterwards. And he just grabs her and hand. And he like grabs yeah, her he by the hand. And he's hand. like, it'll be okay, doll. We're here to protect you. They yeah. all have, like, New Yorker accents for some yeah, reason. Yeah, 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 because that's how cops talk in movies. Um, <laughs> so, basically, it's that night. Uh, one of the cops is put on the front. They, like, switch up so that one guy sleeps while the other one doesn't. So they're finishing up dinner. <laughs> I love the guy. He loads his gun at the dinner table, too. He's like, it's all right. And he, he spins, so it's got a, it's got one of those <laughs> chambers, it, yeah. the chamber that spins, and he spins it right at the dinner table, like he's about to say, like, all right, gang, who wants to play some Russian roulette? <laughs> Ugh, just weird. Um... So he goes outside, and then uh, the other cop, who I, in my head, nicknamed Chester because his chest tear is on this way, is like, all right, so uh, you guys have a bed for me to sleep in? And Leah's like, yes, we do. So Leah leads him upstairs, and we're just like, this is weird. Like, she's almost, like, flirting with this guy. Yeah, she's, like, probably 19, and, and he's, like, 51. 55. And, and the thing is, she, she already <laughs> said, like, I'm going to marry TJ because he's rich. Yeah, yeah. And so you're just like, what is going on? And this is when... He is not an attractive man, as I said. Yeah. He's a miniature, miniature Andre, Andre the, the giant. giant. So she like brings him up to to a bedroom, and he's like, "Oh, okay, this is nice. Like, whose bedroom is this?" And she goes, "Mine." 
And he's like, okay. And we're like, they can't possibly be doing it. He's like, call if you need anything. And he's like, oh. No, no, she's like, if you need anything, just holler. And he went, ah. Does it? Yeah. Doesn't she lead him up the stairs by hand? No, no. She wiggles her bum yeah, as she's, she's going up the she's stairs. she's wiggling her bum as she walks up the stairs. Very, 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 They're very They're just gross. extraordinarily horny um, college girls. Yeah. Well, as someone says, it is a house in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> but it's like she there? has TJ there. It's not like she's... <laughs> I Sorry, I, I, missed, I missed something. I missed something here. So... Um, Leah, Leah, at a certain point, says like during the initial cop thing, like, "Well, Ralph was the one who went and got himself murdered." Yeah, and just like what? <laughs> um, also, um, crazy old Ralph getting himself murdered. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and this is also when uh, Alex starts getting uncomfortably close to Nancy when she's like freaking out, and he just leans in and rubs his forehead against her forehead and says, "I'm going to take care of this." And you're like, "What is going on?" You you do find out in the um in the bonus features that these two were actually dating at the time, but yeah. still you don't know that when you're watching the I know. film. These, I love they, how these are two strangers. Jennifer Onion said like, "Yeah, we were dating at the start of this movie. It didn't last. <laughs> it didn't last the film." Yeah. <laughs> um so at this point there is a gratuitous pant changing scene. It's her second one in the movie. This yeah. is where Melody changes her pants and yep. she puts on a very cleavagey shirt. Well, um she takes a while changing her pants. Yeah, almost like the camera was lingering on her or something. Um, and so she goes back downstairs, and this is when her and um, TJ start to talk. But TJ's yeah, like cozy right up. But but uh, Leah is not around, and Leah's, so Leah's like, "I'm gonna go up for a shower," and we all yeah. know exactly what she's going to do. She's going to shower the cop with love. <laughs> she's like, because um, TJ is like, "Oh, I'll come with you," and she's like, "I'm showering alone." Yeah, not really. Uh, um, so she, she never go- does get to have that shower. No. So she goes upstairs. Uh, and TJ thinks of that as like a cue, like I'll go get a beer and bring it up to her. And so he goes up and he hears her and the cop fooling around in her room. And he's just sort of like, huh, okay, that's how it's going. So <laughs> he's he comes, not, he's not, he's not upset. He's like, all right, time to take a run at Melody. Yeah. Like he, he seems pretty stoked that, uh, he's like, he can have a run at Melody. Yeah. Also like by the fire, Alex and, um, Nancy, Nancy are, are already are cozying canoodling. up. We missed the armor scene oh we totally did we forgot so about night those other one, night one, so there night, is night four yes, missing teenagers yes, yes yes oh my good god it's that uh, kind of movie folks oh, but so there is who was the other i just called them like like bear rug humpers or something yeah the bear rug humpers i can't even remember these two so it was couple boning on a bear rug so basically when everyone else left they decided to stay they chased this is the one where the guy chased her around that's right that's right around the ping pong table like, and he's, he's out winded. of breath and then he falls down and he's like, oh, my back. And we're just like, yes, because you're 42 years old. Um, so they go back to the, to the living like room. We're like 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. So they go back um, into the to living room. I can't Everyone believe else we gone. forgot this. Because it's, it's the part of the movie where I jumped up and pumped my fist in the air and went, yes, this movie rules. So... So the entire time, so they go back because you're like, I hope the killer's in that. Well, I didn't think it was actually going to happen. So they're on the so there's a bear. Why else would you have like? Because you had asked earlier, why is there a suit of armor in this dormitory? Yeah, yeah. So so they're back. So they they basically are boning on the bear rug, and at at the end of it, the girl's like, oh, we should no, we somebody might come in and see us. And he's fine. He's totally fine with it. And then in the background, there's like so many shots of the suit of armor. I'm like. Somebody better be in that suit of armor. And There's I also a think, crossbow on the wall. Or yeah, something, like and I didn't think it was going to happen. And so basically as they're done and the, the guy is like, see, that wasn't so bad. All of a sudden, shunk, he gets an arrow shot from a crossbow through the back of his head, out his mouth. 
and then the suit of armor <laughs> takes so a step. So he falls on top of yeah. her, and she can't get off. Of yeah, him. and then the suit of armor takes a step forward, and I'm like, yes, there's someone in the suit of armor, and he it is carrying a medieval axe, which would be totally just decorative and not an actual axe if it was a suit of armor in a house. And chops her head off. The, the funny thing is, it would it would not be a clean chop. That would take like no. five swings of the axe. It would take like, yeah, <laughs> at least. Mm-hmm. But one one fell swoop, and her her head is rolling on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, this movie is awesome. Man, I we've totally forgot. So there are four mm. people missing the yeah. next day, and, and they're everyone's like, just, eh, it's fine. Except for Nancy, who's just like freaked out, <laughs> just like, oh my god, like four people are missing, and Ralph died after he told me there was evil here and to pray, and like. Yeah, but everybody's like, oh, "It's fine. We want to get Ralph. some cock." He would have killed him. He would have found some death anyways. There's han- handsome, rich <laughs> dick in this, in this uh, place. We need to focus on that. Okay, let's watch our dick and cock talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm edit this is that a family out. podcast, dude. It's hard. I'm trying to keep us to have a an open rating. Um. Uh. So. So basically, now it's it's uh, sexual musical chairs. Uh, TJ is flirting hard with Melody. Um, Alex and Nancy decide to go off and explore the house to make sure all the doors are locked, which is actually a really good thing to do. This was also um, because of how mm-hmm. the murders were cleaned up so well. This is what clued us into that. Oh, it's got to be the house mother who's the killer. Because yeah, because she's cleaning up all the blood. She buries. How the would you get those blood stains out? Yeah, and stuff. No like, one's thinking about it. Um, you chop somebody's head off. That's going to be like, that's a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. So, um, and this is where TJ uses that age old line. Right on the carpet? I know. She knew how to scrub it. The That's where TJ uses that age old line. I have a black belt in karate so I can protect us when we go outside. Because they're like, let's get out of here. I got to get out of this house. Oh, because, uh, yeah, Nancy and Alex, they, he's like, I'm going to go around and check all the doors. Yeah. And Nancy's like, I'll I'm, come with you. Yeah. And so they do. And then they go up to like the mysterious third floor. Uh, which is which, which leads to the balcony where that which girl is not died. An, yeah, it's not an attic. Which is just, no, it's the third floor that they don't use anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at this point, Leah, um, after nailing the gross fifty-one-year-old cop, she goes to take a shower, and she opens up the shower thing. And at this point, the killer is like sneaking in, sneaking, and we see footsteps going up, and we think that the killer is going after. Uh, Nancy and Alex, but it turns out that the killer is actually going into the room that Leah's in, so that. Leah, Leah opens up the 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 shower, shower curtain, and we see the severed head of the very rubbery severed head. Yeah, but it actually it looked pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. It actually like for for an early I've seen worse. Oh yeah, I've seen course. like mannequin heads that are like yeah, yeah. oh geez. It looked it looked pretty good. Um, the so the severed head hanging in the shower, and she screams, and then the cop staggers in, and he's been stabbed in the chest, and then the Santa Claus steps into frame, and from behind the Santa the Santa Claus is in the the foreground. Uh, of course, Leah back, is in, in yeah. the altogether. Yes, she is in the background undressed. But you know what? The camera didn't go below the waist, so it didn't feel as grimy as other David Hess movies. Fair. Um, not that that's saying anything. <laughs> um, so then... Uh, so then um, uh, the cop is dead. So the, the Santa yeah, he, Claus... He, he does that classic dead guy thing of stumbling into a room and dying. Yeah. Which, with, a, with a knife sticking out of his back. So then uh, Santa Claus is in the foreground, Leah is in the background, and Santa Claus has his back to the camera, and he lifts up the mask, and Leah just starts screaming and freaking out, and then it cuts away, and we assume Leah has been killed. But that's not the case. But also horrified about what she's seen underneath the mask. So clearly it's somebody yeah. she knows or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite obviously the house mother. Mm-hmm. This. It's, it's, they're not good at disguising it, so 
Yeah. There's no sense in keeping the suspense. It, it mm-hmm. does turn out to be that. Although but. we we should point out that there was some stuff where, where it's like she couldn't possibly, she couldn't possibly be been there. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then like even like the idea like I didn't even realize there was going to be a second killer until it showed up at the in the end. I did point out that you there did. could be two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought that this film wouldn't be that clever. <laughs> Because as we've established, it's a less intelligent Black Christmas. It, it is. It, yeah, it's it's clever and stupid, right? Yeah. Like they had some good ideas, but also they didn't know how to. What's what's that line from Spinal Tap? There's a fine line between clever and stupid. Yeah, which is true. And this film walks that line. Um. So, uh, Himbo and, or uh, TJ and Melody go for a walk, and uh, TJ puts the moves on her. And this is a weird scene that happens next, where like Alex asks Nancy to dance in the middle of the murder spree. And she's just totally into it because he's like, I just want to hold you against me or something. And it's just like, there's no music playing. They're just dancing in the middle of the living room where their friends were killed and death and murder is all around them. I guess he calls her cute. And then she's but like, then she says, I, but I'd rather be beautiful. But you yeah. are beautiful. <laughs> Which is not Good even a balance. smart line. Or, and then or he takes save. off his glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the dialogue in this movie is not top notch. We also forgot that the other cop who didn't get laid... Uh, Santa Claus, the Santa Claus killer yeah, walks up. He's just out there not getting laid at all. Yeah, just guy. out there like hanging out in the cold. <laughs> so he, uh, so the killer just walks up to him and the Santa Claus, and he says like, hey, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be out here in a Santa Claus costume. There's murders happening. And then the Santa Claus just ever so casually just single-handedly like, like has an ax in one hand and just like swings it into the cop's head and it embeds it into the skull, into the brain. That cop is dead. Which is the the same wound that Fast Ralph had, so I assume Fast Ralph went the same way. We never did see Fast yeah. Ralph get killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what? Good for not having to show every death on screen. You don't need it, because that just kind of like raises more questions. Um, so then TJ gets it. Uh, he gets strangled. It's pretty gnarly death. He has like some, it looks like it's some kind of like wire yeah, or... Yeah, he gets... Gerritted, uh, yeah, it looks like the kind of wire you use for like a rabbit slip or something. Which mu- it, this must be the uh, the guy Santa. Claus I think it's killer. yeah, it's the guy Santa Claus who he's did like, it. Uh, he's very how strong. We used to do things back in the family. <laughs> yeah, because he's very strong. Like he lifts <laughs> out, he lifts uh, TJ up off of his feet. Yeah, like TJ is built like a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really is. He's like a he's a big meathead, big muscly guy. And we initially joked like, "How is the den mother doing this?" It's like she's lifting those soup cans all day long in the in the in the kitchen. And uh, so Melody runs back in. She's hysterical, and Alex just like slaps her like out of nowhere. Well, she first she's she's banging on the window, yeah. and we're like, "Well, just break the window, man!" Just like killing Alex's moves. Yeah, you just, just saw somebody get killed. Yeah, and then Alex lets her in, and she's hysterical, of course, and he mm-hmm. slaps her. He's just. He's uh he's friggin' all of a sudden he's turned into a hero. He's like Jack Nicholson in friggin' uh, Chinatown. He's just yeah. like get a hold of yourself, woman. <laughs> I can tell you haven't been slapped enough in your life. It's a joke from the editor. Um, so yeah, so it's just like and then she's like TJ's been killed and he's been choked to death. Um, so here the plot really moves. Like it's got nowhere else to go. So so they they go up to um they go up into uh they want to see make sure leah's okay yeah so they go upstairs they find the dead cop they find the severed head and uh uh, melody and nancy hug in fear fear alex is about to puke and then vanishes well he 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 steals himself though yeah and you know it's just because he's a man now and (laughs) and he can do that he has that special power and he goes to call the police oh right that's why he disappears and thankfully at the exact same moment he picks up the receiver uh, the killer Santa Claus using Ralph's garden shears cuts the phone line. Uh, perfect timing. Uh, this is when uh, Melody and 
And uh, actually, Nancy and Melody earlier encounter Leah, who's been driven ins- insane by her fear, and she's now dancing in like she, bah, 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 bah. Yeah, she's pirouetting around. Yeah. Uh, in a and so this is after. So what happens to Melody? Is Melody makes it out, right? No, Melody gets killed. How does Melody make it? I I guess remember that that time where you're like, oh, did he miss Melody? I guess he didn't hit Miss oh, Melody. Right? No, no, right? Because yeah, she she gets outside. Right, right. And she finds oh, Harry oh, and Williams then, under yeah, the plane. Yeah, 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 like, how could we have forgotten that? That's such a great scene. Yeah, so, because the, the, the pilot has just yeah. been ordered to wait by oh, wait, the plane. Wait, 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 we have to get there. So, inside the house, um, uh, they're talking, Melody and Nancy are talking to Leah, trying to convince her, like, we gotta leave, but, but Leah is just, like, dancing and pirouetting. And all of a sudden, the killer Santa emerges, and he takes a swing at Melody, misses, like, kind of, like, uh, cuts her chest a little bit so that she's bleeding. She runs away to go get the plane to, like, get it because they formed the plan. We got to get the pilot. The killer is unmasked at this yeah. point. Takes off the mask. It's the house mother. And then some exposition is revealed, like, it turns you out killed she- my daughter. Yeah. Now, we cut to Melody running to the to the plane, and she's pursued by Santa Claus, or the person in Santa Claus. And we're like, oh, the, the, the killer put the mask back on. Yes, the den mother is the killer. She's Pamela Voorhees from Friday the 13th, but it was a grown-up da- uh, uh, college-age daughter as opposed to, like, a little boy. So the Santa Claus killer pursues Melody to the plane. This is where she wakes up the stoner pilot who's like, hey, what's going on? He's, he's just sleeping under the plane. Been sleeping in a sleeping bag outdoors under the plane for the past two days, and I'm just like, where is he going to the bathroom? It, well, I mean, he could piss what is outside. He, what but, is he eating? But, like, what does he do? He's just twiddling his thumbs all day? Yeah, I gotta wait for old CJ <laughs> to come back. Um, like, he doesn't have his phone to look at or yeah. anything. So he gets up and he's like, oh, this is strange. The plane's been monkeyed with, so I got to fix it. So he's like, well, it, it's hilarious because it. she she wakes him up. Mm-hmm. He's, he's sleeping. He's stoned. He's having, yeah. he's having a good time. And she's like, everybody's been killed. TJ's been killed. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. There's a murder on the loose, which is a lot to take in. Yeah. When you're just waking up from like a stoner nap. Yeah. And he's just like, what is going on, man? Calm down. <laughs> so he he gets up and he. um. Uh, he like starts working on the plane. They're working next to like the propeller, and she's like, "Can can you fix it? Can you do it?" And all of a sudden, we see Santa Claus sitting inside the cockpit, and they hear the engine turn on. And I'm like, "Get him! They gotta like kill him with the propeller." The propellers start up, and then blood and gore hits the wind. Yeah, the window that's all of the you plane. see. Gore hits the uh, and again, windshield. fantastic. Just a great like chunky gore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the it's plane that, just that gets eviscerated. Guts. Yeah, it's all great. Uh, it's fantastic. So now back in the house. Nancy is being pursued by the Santa Claus. She runs up the stairs into the, the third floor, which is hidden. The third floor, which nobody goes up into. Yeah, because I think that's where the, the girl I, who died lives. Yes, so, Yeah. Yes. And so she runs through. What, uh, what you reasoned is it's probably just the second floor again, but they've lit it differently. Yeah, yeah. Because I think from the outside, it only looks like a two-story house. Um, so they basically like all run up there. and uh, Or the Santa Claus pursues Nancy upstairs. And the Santa Claus chases her out the um, out this out into the same balcony that her daughter died on, and again uh, Nancy moves out of the way, and the Santa Claus and uh, the house the den mother trips over the balcony, falls down, hits her head, cracks it on the cement below, dead. Nancy is instant na- death. Yeah, Nancy is now like heading downstairs. She's like I blood gotta. pours out of her mouth. Yeah, she's like I gotta get out of here. I gotta get Leah and go, and then suddenly another Santa Claus enter, enter, enters carrying the den mother, and he lays her down. And it's like, you killed my wife, and you killed my daughter. And he takes off the mask, and it's the police detective from the earlier scene. And now he's going to kill 
uh, Nancy. Which at least explains why he hired the two most inept, horniest yeah, cops that he could like, find. One guy is going to not do anything, and the other guy is going to try to get laid, so they don't have to worry about it whatsoever. Um, I've been wanting to get rid of these guys anyhow. <laughs> they're, they're draining the city payroll, they are. Um, and they're, they're, uh, they're unionized. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's creepy cops. So then... Uh, but at this point, Alex emerges on the second floor. What has he been doing, by the way? After he realized that the phone was dead, he's, ba- yeah. he's been incognito. He's probably just like, They're only, the killer's only going after the girls, so if I just hide out here, I'll be fine. <laughs> um, but he, he emerges with but the he's same... He's like, I want to get laid again. Yeah, so he emerges with a crossbow and shoots the, the cop Santa Claus through the chest. The cop Santa Claus dies. Alex comes down and he's like, let's get out of here. So they go outside. And Nancy, being the good human being that she is, is like, wait, Leah's still inside. We got to go back and get Leah. And Alex is like, forget her. We'll send someone back for her. She'll be fine. She's having a good time in there. Uh, Twirling. And then (laughs) it pans up. The camera, like, pans over to the balcony where Leah's twirling on the balcony. Freeze frame credits. Fantastic. That was To All a Good Night. Uh, Fantastic film. It would have been nice if they had, like, the real Santa Claus, like, going, ho, 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 ho. Ho, ho, ho. This is not a good night. <laughs> All right, so let's get into a little bit of trivia. So the the cast and crew uh, slept at the main mansion location in Santa Barbara, California throughout the, the movie. Um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Was it yeah. Silent Night, Deadly Night, where uh, a car actually does magically lift off the ground? That's Christmas Eve. Christmas Evil. That's Christmas Eve. Yeah. That's right. And it was a van. Um, that's a silent, oh, you're right. Um yeah, so the, so they actually stayed in the actual mansion, which apparently there were rumors that it was owned by like some Middle Eastern oil baron who lost all their money and had let it go run down. So they stayed there, which is actually very much like the very first movie I ever worked on things to do, where they rented rented uh, the dot film company company rented a dilapidated old mansion in Windsor, Ontario, and the entire crew minus the locals, including me, stayed there. Um, as we said before, Jennifer Runyon and Forrest Swanson were dating at the time the film was made. The entire film was shot in ten days flat. That is efficiency right there. So I'm going to give it a lot of slack for the, the errors. The lack like of the continuity. Con- the continuity and the fact that at one point a light is in a shot, but I don't think you guys even noticed. Oh, no, I didn't. Because I was like, that is a light. Um, uh, so the actress who actually played the den mother, Kiva Lawrence, she was the one who recommended Jennifer Runyon to the filmmakers. Um, who in was, turn recommended yeah. her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was looking here. Um, oh, this is a weird thing. So in order to star as Nancy, Jennifer Runyon committed to losing the excess weight she'd struggle with throughout her teens, which is crazy. Jesus. So I didn't realize this, but she apparently had slimmed, at the time of filming, had slimmed down from 165 pounds to 105 pounds. Oh my good gosh. Which is a lot to lose for this movie that basically got yanked out of theaters pretty soon and was mostly forgotten about. I mean, I mean, good for her, I guess. Yeah. If, if she's happier being... Being, uh, yeah, being smaller. that way. Just hope it was done healthily. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kiva Lawrence was actually involved in a theater group with director David Hess, and um, Kiva Lawrence refused to do a scene in which a gun was thrown at her face. So that's all the behind-the-scenes trivia I got into got right now. Um, Phil, what are your final thoughts on To All a Good Night? Wow, this movie was a trip. Uh, yeah, just all of us just going into a cold. Like, we were really take. I guess, me, like, all you too as well like the twists and turns man the twists well narratively there were very few twists and turns but you know just uh logically the, the accidental uh the accidental ineptitude and just uh unexpected bizarre turns uh 
that happened from scene to scene just made just put this over the top as a a fun uh night in uh de- definitely one of the more you know for a derivative slasher movie one of ironically enough one of the more unique ones and entertaining for something that was yes clearly very entertaining clearly like a cash in on friday the 13th which was a hit previously that year i think that's why it was shot so quickly was because they're like we want to get this out in time for christmas because friday the 13th was a big hit in the summer we're gonna get this out for christmas um and uh and we'll cash in because it's literally the plot of friday the 13th with a with a just take it to the next level like hey We'll have both parents be the vigilantes. Exactly. It's clearly better if it's two parents instead of one. It's like 100%. It's like twice the, the thrills of Friday the 13th. Is that, <laughs> is that, is that all your thought, final thoughts, Phil? Oh, uh, yeah. Cool. Kit, what are your final thoughts on David Hess's To All a Good Night? Well, yeah, it was fun. But as you were saying, it was like a little slapdash. You get the, you get the sense like the, the writers, mm. for example, don't like... We're just like, yeah, these horny sorority girls, they're, they're going to sleep with any old ogreish cop that comes to <laughs> comes to their sorority. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what girls are like, right? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the film was written by Alex Rebar, who, uh, looking up his... Um, he was more of an actor than a writer, actually. He, uh, I believe it. Let's see. What he also he... Uh, did the classic thing where he wrote mm-hmm. himself into the movie. Oh, he did? Well, Alex... Is a oh. character in the movie, yep, uh, who is kind of heroic, mm-hmm. kind of a nerdish, nerdy guy who gets a hand job and then becomes a heroic uh, sort of person. So it, it seems like yeah. he wrote himself into the movie. Alex didn't act in the film despite being an actor. So he appeared in the TV show Chips. He appeared in the TV show The Incredible Hulk. He was in The Incredible Melting Man. He was on The Young and the Restless for quite a few years. It looks like hey, that'll pay the bills for a while. Um, he also wrote uh, was a contributing writer to a fantastic Exorcist ripoff called Beyond the Door. Uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, he was in an episode of Simon and Simon and Murder, She Wrote, um, and The Law, The Law, and Harry McGraw, whatever the hell that is. Um, and he directed four things. It's the uh, Law and Harry McGraw. What do you mean? Eh, I'm not even going to, like, the, the, the things that he directed, I'm not even going to say because it doesn't look like it's legitimately anything. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. like. You know, it's 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 almost like a thrown together movie. Like the plotting is like they just kind of threw mm-hmm. everything. As you say, they probably just ripped off a Friday the Thirteenth, and we're like, yeah, but let's add the father in this one. But it's ah. like it's ripped off by someone who saw it once, maybe while they were high. Yeah. And but the they, thing they've is, they've seen Black Christmas, mm-hmm. they've seen Friday the Thirteenth, and they're like, I've got an idea for a movie. Yeah. But the other the thing I want to point out though is like it's just fun. Like the thing is, we all enjoyed this movie. Like yeah. this movie is a crowd pleaser. It's wild. Also, like yeah. the cast, um, well, the the girls especially, but the cast seemed to be having a good time making the film. Yeah. You kind of get the sense of that. I don't know. Well, I think they were kind of, I think especially the actress that who played Leia was in on the joke of like, wait, so I'm going to sleep with TJ and then this old ugly ass cop is going to show up and I'm going to be like, he seems like a good choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like she's, she's just having mm-hmm. fun and, yeah. and that kind of uh, comes through. Which uh, is good for the audience if it's just a silly film like this. Like you can't yeah. take it seriously. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's a goofy good time. Yeah, yeah. It was super fun. Uh, uh, any other final thoughts? No. I, I, there's not much to this movie to have final thoughts yeah. about, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, my final thoughts are I definitely think this should be added to the canon of 80s slashers because it's like it is one of those things where it's like it's not as well known. But also it's Christmas slashers. Yeah, yeah. It definitely like I'm glad it's on Shutter. I think it's going to get a bigger audience. I like this is better than Christmas Evil or. 
Well, Christmas Evil is is actually like a technically good movie and has depth and layers to it. Yeah. But this one is just like <laughs> this it, one. I don't know. I'm a big Christmas Evil fan. Yeah, yeah. Are you? Maybe I've only seen it the one time, and I don't. It didn't yeah. make a huge impression on me. This this seemed more fun to me. Well, I don't know. There there just seem to be more layers because in Christmas Evil he's got the naughty book and the nice look where it's yeah, like, and he's yeah. got the things of like <laughs> swearing, like like dirty room or something like dirty note or like you know. I forgot, about, I yeah. forgot about those little details. Yeah. Fibs, I believe. Yeah, yeah, fibs. Yeah, there's like a lot of stuff in Christmas Evil to go on, but like this definitely needs to be added to the canon of like. It's just more of a roller coaster ride of a movie. Yeah, because it's, it's more like, straightforward. It's more just like, what is going on now? But I do think that the. Because um, like, I always say the holy trinity of Christmas horror movies are Black Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Christmas Evil. I think we can now officially call it a holy quadrilogy. Of, uh, of Christmas movies, and we'll add this one to it. I mean, there's others, too, like uh, Don't Open Till Christmas, which is a British film, which we almost did, but I haven't seen it. I couldn't find a, a good copy oh, of it. I've, I've seen that. That was on, uh, that's on YouTube. But isn't it in, like, terrible quality, though? Yeah, I think I watched most of, I remember watching most of that last year for some reason, because it's just on, it's yeah. not great quality, this is yeah. true, but, yeah. Holdings on YouTube, maybe I'll give it a watch, we'll see. But yeah, I love this film. Um, it's just fun. I highly recommend it. I think this is a, a DBB pro, DBB, DBV pro approved. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. This well, is, this well is, eventually uh, we're going to get so big that we're actually going to start releasing our own DVDs. And this will be yeah. part of a collection. Exactly. The Christmas collection. Yes. It's going to be a box set. Yeah, exactly. Featuring To All a Good Night and Christmas Steve. And oh yeah, Christmas stuff. Steve, of course. Yeah, yeah. By the way, if you haven't checked out Christmas Steve, click on our link, uh, our link tree, which is in both our a better looking Chris uh, Santa costume than uh, appears in this movie. <laughs> yeah, shockingly, even though I bought the cheapest one I could find. So yeah, <laughs> um, if you click the link uh, in our bio on Instagram or Twitter, it'll take you to uh, a link tree, which gives you the podcast and a bunch of different things, and a link to my personal Vimeo account, which contains some of uh, some of my short films, including Christmas Steve and. Um, Christmas Eve. It's a good, a good, quick, yeah. fun movie uh, yeah. starring uh, our host, our, our host as Santa Claus. And both hosts actually, and um, and, Kit and as and Christmas Eve. And also Steve. friend of the pod, Courtney Barnett. Who's, yes, uh, just Bruno. fantastic. Bruno, that's right. Actually, I'm sorry, no, Courtney, Courtney Barnett. Barnett. Oh my God. Cut, also, cut, cut. also, also, she's not Bruno anymore. This is true. It's Courtney O'Connor. I don't remember her married name, but yeah. uh, Courtney Barnett. She is not Cor- the Australian. Cor- <laughs> no, Courtney <laughs> O'Connor. Smith. Courtney O'Connor. Courtney yeah. O'Connor. It basically stars. We love you, Courtney. It stars the majority of this podcast because uh, Kit plays the uh, the eponym- the, uh, <laughs> the the so called Christmas Steve in the film, uh, and I play Santa Claus. Although I'm not credited, I'm credited as Christoph Kringle. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, letting the viewers know uh, yeah. listeners know yeah anyways check it out uh so from death by video uh i guess this is us wishing us a merry well maybe we'll get more than one more episode out before uh, christmas we'll see if we do our and if not and if not merry christmas from death by video i've been phil i've been i've been kit and i'm graham saying keep watching amazing movies ho 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 merry christmas to all a good night
Please hand it over. We'll beat you up, so don't make us annoyed. 